What compels a man living in Chicago to drop everything he's doing, to pack up his family, and move them to the remote town of Toccoa Falls, Georgia to attend Bible college? And then, once again, to give up everything he has to buy a farm and found Shepherd's Hill Academy, a residential treatment program for troubled teens. Well, that man was Trace Embry, the host of this program. And today, we're going to hear part two of his story. We're sharing Trace's testimony with you so that you can get a better idea of why we're here and why we do the things we do. So welcome. This is Licensed to Parent. And Trace, you learned a lot in those early days of walking with the Lord, and you seem to do a lot of things right. What are some of the teachable moments that we can take away from this? Because this really does sound like a script on how to do this right. Mm, Yeah. Looking back at it, it sounds like a script. But I think it really all boils down to, Rich, and I'm not trying to make myself look like I'm hyper-spiritual or anything, but it really boils down to having such a relationship with the living God that you do know when he's speaking, and then having the faith to act upon what you know he's saying, even when it doesn't make any sense. It's that scripture in, in, uh, I think it's Proverbs 3, that says, uh, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. We were just silly enough to obey him. And that's Mm. really the bottom line. And he, like I said, filled in the blanks from there. Well, Trace, as a a dad now, uh, you and your wife went through a lot during that period. Have you been able to teach your kids some important principles as a result of this experience? Well, just like at Shepherd's Hill, you know, more is caught than taught. And when your kids are watching you act in faith, making major life decisions by faith, not because it's best for your income or best for your social status or whatever, but because it's what God told you to do, and it does put them through some discomfort too. I mean, mm-hmm. our kids left their friends. I mean, you know, when we moved from Northwest Indiana outside of Chicago to Northeast Georgia, that was quite a, a, a transition that they had to make as well. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, first as parents, we, we must surrender our will to God's perfect will. Uh, not everything we want to do for or with our kids is necessarily what God knows to be best. And even though what we want to do for our kids might appear good in the eyes of the world, you know, we never want to make our good become the enemy of God's best. And the kids, they're watching this stuff. You know, this takes self-discipline on our part, and all self-discipline has its genesis in faith. Uh, the question is, where are we putting that faith, in ourselves or in mm-hmm. God? And again, Proverbs 3, 5 applies. Uh, Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Uh, We as believers have to trust God and and act accordingly. And this is in itself a tremendous act of faith. God honors faith. Without faith, we can't please God. And faith comes from intimacy with him through prayer, feeding on his word, basically experience with God. That's going to take time. And uh, uh, for that matter, you, you can learn a lot about a pen pal simply by reading about him. I mean, if you read about God and his word, you know a lot about him, but it's it goes back to acting on the faith that you have. As you step through the doors, God opens, he opens more doors, keeping a God consciousness at all times, uh, keep you alerted to those teachable moments. Uh, these by themselves will help make your parenting experience a much more pleasurable one. Uh, it's the principles of Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7 that says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you Mm. walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. So again, just living by the principles and mandates of Scripture is a tremendous act of faith by itself because so much of what God expects from us as believers 
is counterintuitive to what we've been taught by today's parenting experts, by Oprah, uh, by much of the church, and and, and certainly the, the cultural tide, how we wear our clothes, what, what we're entertained by, uh, when and if we should be dating, other social norms. These are things that we have to consider uh, when bringing up our kids. Are we going to go countercultural to be good parents as God defines a good parent? Uh, are we performing before an audience of one? Are our kids seeing that happen mm-hmm. in us? Because listen, if our kids see that we are men and women under authority and submit to that authority, it's going to be much easier for them to submit to us as their authority. Two things come to mind based on what you just said. The first is when we're making the the transition from reading about God and, and knowing about God versus putting our trust in him and living according to his will and principles, I'm reminded that uh, you know, Scripture says that the, the devils believe. Well, I mean, they they believe in God, right? And they tremble. Right. That doesn't mean they're following God, right? And it, it may seem trite today. And you know, we've all seen the WWJD. What would Jesus do? Bracelets. But in in reality, that is the question that we need to be asking. When we're living in this consciousness that you're talking about, we're always wondering. You know, all right, God, is this how you want me to live? Is this what you want me to do? We're asking that question. What would you be doing here? What should I be doing here? As opposed to just knowing some facts about God. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And using God as the glue that holds the family together, uh, using God as the foundation from which all the family, quote unquote, rules are, you know, uh, it's a comfort to my kids to know that, hey, these things didn't come from dad. Dad's yeah. just a filter. Dad's the town crier for where these things came from. You know, I'm, these are not my ideas. This is what I'm getting from God. And when the kids see you walk in faith and then things turn out as God's promised, they can be assured and have a whole lot of security that what dad's telling them then is backed by mm. the good housekeeping seal of heaven, you know, that being God. That's a tremendous security uh, yeah. blanket for those kids because there's so many parents who don't have it together. The kids know they don't have it together, and they realize, I'm taking my cues from a guy that doesn't have it together. You know, and that, and that sends a tremendous message of insecurity. You know, so if you can make God be, quote-unquote, the bad guy when it comes to why we do this or that or the other, in the end, even in the eyes of your children, he, mm-hmm. he'll look like the good guy. Well, let me ask you this. You um, Obviously, God knows how he wired you, how he made you. Do you think that ultimately you would have come to the place where you are now in your life were it not for God's intervention and call on this? Would would you have reached this same conclusion ultimately? Not at all, Rich. Not at all. Uh, but again, as as I obeyed God by faith, you know, my appetites and desires certainly became more congruent with His. We moved to Coal Falls College, and uh, you know, I remember going there. And thinking, what in the world am I doing here? I'm sitting in a room with a bunch of teeny boppers. Every other married student that goes here, their kids, uh, you know, they're probably perfect. They're all, they all have some kind of <laughs> bloodline to Mother Teresa or Billy Graham. And I am, I'm so unworthy. I, I mean, I'm a roofer for crying out loud. Uh, you didn't, I, you didn't have a clue as to what was in store, did you? Not a clue. And yeah. when, when I found out that, uh, you know, most of these families. Um, are just as messed up as I was. That was a, believe it or not, a bit of a comfort. Uh, but the, the the whole Bible college experience with kids was a, a tremendous um, time of stretching. I mean, you know, financially and otherwise, uh, 
the guys that bought my roofing company were roofers. They weren't businessmen. Uh, that, that kind of fell through, which made us rely on God all the more. I would do some roofs occasionally to get ourselves to school. My wife made minimum wage working for the school. I actually took a minimum wage job working in the, in the auto shop on campus. And, and what an exercise in humility that was. I mean, you know, from, from my childhood, I've been helping build race cars from the ground up. Uh, you know, I could uh, metal fabricate and weld and I uh, had my own body shop, which is another business right out of high school. I could take a car apart and, and rebuild it, paint it, make it look like new. And here I am handing rags uh, to 18 and 20-year-olds who I could have done what they were doing 10 times faster and probably 10 times better, but I just did my job, kept my mouth shut. And uh, of course, as time went on, they found out what I could do. That kind of changed. But then I realized I could make more money roofing houses in a weekend than I could in four months working for the, uh, mm. the auto shop. So that didn't last but maybe a semester. But one thing I learned at uh, Bible College that I took with me uh, to this very day is the importance of praising God and thanking Him in all circumstances. Because going through college, you know, we ate the Laura Lynn brand of everything. It was generic everything. And we, we, we really made uh, the dollars stretch. But we praised God and we thanked Him, uh, even when our lights and gas were getting shut off and things mm-hmm. like that. You praised Him through all those times. And we've, we've, we've had a, a lot of experiences uh, where it would have been easy to shake your fist at God, but uh, you praised him and you thanked him. And your kids see you do this, yeah. and it models it before them, and they develop the habit. And let me ask you this, Rich. If you had to discipline one of your children, let's say you spanked them, and um, when you were done spanking them, uh, instead of shaking their fist at you or, or scowling at you, they turned around and, and they hugged your neck and thanked you for being the good father that you were, doing what you knew to be right for them, what would your next move want to be as a good father? Well, first of all, I'd be delighted to have the confirmation that what I had done was the right thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'd want to bless my child. I'd want to do everything I could to equip my child to move onward and upward. And I think that's exactly how God operates with his kids as well. He probably doesn't need that confirmation. But, no, he doesn't uh, <laughs> need the confirmation. But I can tell you this. Whenever in our darkest, blackest times, and as we go along with this conversation, you'll know that we've had some very dark and some very black times, praise and thanksgiving is something that we've disciplined ourselves to do, knowing Mm -hmm. that God is teaching us something through all these things. And that really carries over into what goes on at Shepherd's Hill Academy, and what I'd like the listeners at Licensed Apparent to understand as well, is that even in the darkest of times, there's always a reason to praise God and thank Him. As a matter of fact, I think I heard Adrian Rogers telling a story of a man who was walking down the street praising God, and uh, another man walked up to him and said, uh, why are you praising God? You look like you've just been beat up and abused. And he says, well, I have been. He says, so how, why are you praising God? He says, uh, well, when the guy stole my wallet, I, I didn't have much money in it. But you've been beat up. He says, I'm, I'm praising God I didn't get killed. But you've been beat up. You've been abused. You, 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 you've been robbed. Well, I'm just praising God I didn't beat up, that I didn't abuse, and that I didn't rob. Praising God and thanking Him uh, is something that we've carried over in our family, mm. and, and we've never regretted that. Well, Trace, we need to take a quick break in our conversation now. Uh, I'm Rich Rossell, talking today with Trace Embry on this special multi-part edition of our program. And when we continue, we're going to move forward to the point in our story where Shepherd's Hill Academy was founded. And one thing I do know is that it's hard to have an academy if you don't have a place for an academy. And Trace didn't. We'll let him tell you about the improbable real estate deal that was handled the old-fashioned way, with a cash in his pocket and a handshake. 
This is Licensed to Parent. In today's digital age, there's more access than ever to digital devices. With technology constantly evolving to make our lives easier, is it any wonder that many feel as though they just can't live without it? Digital addiction can be just as chemically debilitating as drugs. Time in front of a screen can drastically affect the life of your child. For starters, your child may choose technology over simple things like playing outside and engaging in exercise, acquiring a job, and gaining life experience. To learn more about how digital addiction can affect your child, visit helpmytroubledteen.org, click on Resources, and look for the article, What is Digital Addiction? Parenting isn't easy. Shepherd's Hill Academy wants to equip you with resources for all areas and issues of life. Discover a variety of ebooks, podcasts, links, and more to help you navigate the parenting landscape. Help by TroubledTeen.org. Is your teen's behavior dangerous? Your child's behavior may seem incredibly volatile during the teenage years. Sometimes the signs and symptoms come and go quickly as your child is growing, but other times behaviors are developed and nurtured that will lead to unhealthy choices. Here are a few items to consider. Does your teen refuse to abide by anything you say or request? Is your teen displaying behavior that's a marked change from what has been normal? Has your teen become increasingly disrespectful, dishonest, and disobedient, and openly rebellious? Go to HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and take the quiz, Is My Teen Troubled? While some behavioral issues are minor and best resolved at home, there are warning signs that your teen may need a more structured approach to get them on a healthy, constructive path. And Shepherd's Hill Academy is here to help. Visit HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and click on, Is My Teen Troubled? Help My Troubled Teen. This is Licensed to Parent with Trace Embry. I'm Rich Rosel, and Trace, we've been talking about the journey that you went on to become a follower of Christ and what you and your family went through to get to the point of, of starting Shepherd's Hill Academy. Uh, from what you've told me, uh, though, your your vision was a bit cloudy when you headed off to Tacoa Falls College. At what point did you sense that God was calling you into a specific ministry, one that involved working with teenagers? Well, we were about halfway through our Bible college experience, and we felt that tap on the shoulder again. And the tap was, you're not going to be a pastor in the traditional sense. You need land, so start looking for it. When we were wrestling, still living back home, uh, about uh, what to do, you know, we had a lot of these divine appointments, so to speak, as confirmations as to how we mm. or where we were supposed to go. I remember having a almost a supernatural experience when I was having a dream, and in my dream, I was reciting this sentence: "And you shall love the Lord seven times, but teach the natural. And you shall love the Lord seven times, and teach the natural." N- not really knowing what that meant, but that kept coming back to me even through our Bible college experience. And uh, when the Lord spoke to Beth and, and myself about needing land, we acted in faith by packing our kids, we had three kids at the time, in our little minivan and just hitting the highways and byways of northeast Georgia. The first place we saw was what is now called Shepherd's Hill Academy. It was just an old abandoned farm. So when we went to this abandoned farm, we looked at each other and said, this is it. This is the place. Mm. I 
cannot tell you how we knew that, but we would go out on what we now call Shepherd's Hill uh, and picnic and basically trespassing on the land and pray, Lord, we'll dedicate this property 100% to your service if you'll just show us what to do and provide it for us. And uh, for the next year and a half, we would beg God to provide it for us. And yet all the neighbors, all the doors we knocked on said, no one will ever get that property. It's all tied up in the legal system. We didn't know that then, but there was a triple murder involved in this place. It, It was a major, major drug operation. And the DEA had come in and seized the property, tore the house practically down looking for drugs and money. Well, in, in this year and a half, we were looking at other properties. And after a year and a half, you think, well, maybe we didn't hear from God. We, we just we didn't know. But we, we kept coming back here. I knew, I knew one thing for sure. I didn't want to create an Ishmael. I, I didn't want to force something that God wasn't totally in on. Mm. And so we waited on God. We mm. continued to grow where we were planted, still continued to go to school, and yet still looked for property at the same time. Right, and, and the Ishmael reference, uh, for those who may not be familiar with Old Testament stories, was when uh, when Abraham was given the promise by God that he would be the father of many nations. He and his wife, Sarah, were very old, and when she had not been able to conceive, they took it upon themselves. He had a child with his wife's maidservant, and that child was Ishmael. And most of the wars in the Middle East have been still going on. <laughs> that are still going on have grown out of that divide between Ishmael and then God's chosen son for him, Isaac. Mm-hmm. So a year and a half has gone on here, but something did change. You actually you saw a sign. Yeah, but it wasn't the sign in in the sense I think you might be uh, referring to. We saw a physical sign. We were on our way to Royston, Georgia, to look at a piece of property and saw a for sale by owner sign, a magic marker for sale by owner sign on Highway 17 on the road that led to Shepherd's Hill. And I looked at my wife, and she looked at me, and we thought, could that possibly be that place? And so we did a U-turn, went back, and sure enough, there was another magic marker for sale by owner sign on this farm that we had you know, returned to several times over the past year and a half. Immediately went to a phone booth, uh, dialed the number, and phone the, booth, by the way, for translation yeah. to people who grew up in the cell phone society. That's what we used to use to call people. Exactly. We had no cell phones, and we right. couldn't afford you know, the phone we had in our single-wide mobile home under the campus of Coal Falls College. But I uh, went to a phone booth, and this guy says, I just put that sign out there a few minutes ago. So I said, sir, would you meet us out there and, and kind of show us around and kind of tell us a little bit about it? And he was eager to do that. And, and uh, we met him out there, and um, you know, I said... <laughs> I didn't know if there was five acres or 500 acres. I just said, sir, can I give you $200 just to hold this property? I said, I do business on a handshake. All I'm asking you to do is just hold it for a week. And I thought that everyone and their brother would have the same uh, gung-ho feeling about this place as I did. Because you got to remember now, I've been trusting God for the last few years, and he's always been coming through. And so I kind of naively maybe jumped the gun a little bit here, but yet I did what I thought I had to do. And so we took $200. It wasn't even a good check. I took $200 out of our school account, put it into our checking account, which he knew I was going to do that. I said, don't cash the thing until Monday because we we paid for our school as we went. We had no savings account. We had nothing in our checking account, but we did pay for our schools as we went. And that $200 we had put away to pay our school bill, I took out to cover that check. So... Go back to Tacoma Falls College, no interest whatsoever. I went through finals that week and no chance to be creative. We went back to the seller. Uh, it was a man named Tommy. We'll just call him Tommy. 
And when I walked in with Beth uh, into his office the following, I believe it was a Friday, uh, he said, so how are you going to do this? I said, sir, I said, I have no idea. He looked at me, he said, young man, I want you to know I could have sold that property five times this week. Two of those people had cash, and you're telling me that you can't do this? And I told him, I said, listen, no one is more disappointed than me. I mean, you have the only $200 I own. And I've got kids to feed, and my wife makes a minimum wage, and I hadn't had a real job in three years. He says, I'll tell you what you do. You, you go down to the town just about a mile or two away. He says, you see a guy named Jimmy, and you tell him you want a loan for the property on Price Road. Well, I looked at him like, who in the world's going to loan me money? I actually said it. And he said, you go down there. I own that bank. Reluctantly, my wife and I went down to the bank, met a guy we'd never met before, Jimmy. He sits us down. With some small talk, he says, we'll close in a week, and we left the bank. No loan application, no credit application, no nothing. And as we're getting in our van, I remember looking at my wife across the top of the van, and I said, what just happened in there? She says, I don't know, but we need to get out of here. <laughs> well, we didn't know if it was pin the tail on the Yankee, or we didn't know if it was some kind of southern trick that right. guys play. It just sounded so strange. And then as we're leaving, the banker comes running out of the front door of the bank with a yellow notepad, and he says, whoa, 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 whoa. And we're thinking, okay, the jig is up, you know. Right. He says, I need your last name. So I shouted my last name across the parking lot, and we drove back to the seller, who we found out later was just, he was an investor. He Somehow he got this property, purchased it from the government, only to flip it. As I realize now, he probably thought we're going to go in there knowing we're going to lose it in a few months, but also knowing that we're probably going to improve it. But interestingly enough, to this very day, we have yet to be late on the payment, not even one time. And there were so many times where, where it was close. But we walked back to the seller, and I said, uh, the banker, Jimmy, said, we'll close in a week. He says, not without $5,000 down, you won't. I said, sir, you have the only $200 I own. He says, well, I know that. And he picks the phone up. And if you ever seen the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, where yeah. Potter's way up here and you know Jimmy Stewart's way down there, where Beth and I were way down here and Tommy was way up here. And he picks the phone up and he says, Mr. So-and-so, I got Mr. and Mrs. Embry here. Uh, they want to buy that property on Price Road. Blah, 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 blah. Click. He says, I got your down payment. He says, 1500 of that is going to be for a survey. Now, I know you don't have that. He says, I'll give that to you. He says, you pay me when you get it, just when you can get it. He says, but if you don't come to closing with $3,500, I've got five people standing in line to buy that property. Well, we would have sold our kids for $3,500 at that point. We go back to Coal Falls College. I'm glad you didn't, by the yeah, way. I'm glad okay. <laughs> There's not enough money to buy them. Uh, but we, we go back to Coal Falls College, and money started coming out of the woodwork. The first person that Beth told that our mobile home was for sale bought it. It was just a young married couple. I think they were mm. 20 years old. The guy that she worked for, she worked uh, at that time for the admissions department. He says, I have $1,500 for a heating system. This is May of 1994. He says, if you can get it back to me by September, I'll, I'll give it to you. So she says, give it to me. So we're taking all these teeny boppers' monies, and we went to closing with just enough to close. We had barely enough money to buy lunch after that. Our, now, I'm fast-forwarding a little bit, uh, but we had sold our mobile home actually before we closed in the farm. And so now we're coming up to a point where we're going to have to pay rent on our own mobile home if we don't get out of there. Well, it was the last day of school. Our kids uh, were at public school at the time, which I certainly don't advocate today. And we picked them up and went to our new home. So in uh, May of 1994, we moved in a home with no power, had no electricity, no running water, no uh, 
stove, no refrigerator, no washer, no dryer. That all went with the mobile home. No bathroom, no air conditioning. You could see the ground in many places in the house. Spent the remainder of 94 trying to just carve out a place to live. We packed our kids and ourselves in one 14 by 14 room. Our belongings went into another uh, room about the same size. And uh, the first thing I had to do was get a job. We moved into this house, Beth making just over minimum wage and me making virtually nothing except for Mm. roof jobs I did during the summer. So that was our condition. So obviously our first big hurdle was making that huge monthly payment uh, that first month, which is 30 days away, on a 15-year note. Now we're leveraged to the hilt because we've borrowed the down payment, we've borrowed the closing costs, we've borrowed all this stuff. Well, I got a job. I got a job in uh, working in a factory about five miles from the farm. First job I've had as an adult other than police work. I've always been self-employed. There was always too much month at the end of the money. I mean, we barely made it. Uh, I worked overtime and uh, I was a temporary at this factory and Mm. still did roof work on the side to make ends meet. It was just a very, very difficult time. And uh, it was a new miracle every month. Uh, We did erect an eight-foot cross on, on Shepherd's Hill. Um, to commemorate where God gave us this property. And I'd go out there every night and pray and ask the Lord to clarify the vision that he brought us out here for. And for the next seven years, we would work like migrant workers in eight Mm. different states, putting roofs on and houses, bringing the money back to Georgia, put a door in here or a a window in there, a fence up here. But, you know, we did ministry from day one. There were some folks in our church that wanted to do equine therapy, had no place to do it. And as soon as we moved to the farm, they had a place to do it. I remember the first riding arena they had was built out of wood pallets that I brought home from the factory. But we did parenting classes and day camps and weekend camps and all kinds of stuff related to teenage years and and parenting. Then as 1994 closed out uh, in November, we found our first source of heat. We bought a, a wood-burning stove, installed it, and, uh, and again, lived in this construction zone with uh, snakes, and we killed more than a couple of uh, rodents and spiders and things that got in the house. Now, we did get electricity pretty quickly. The, uh, there was a guy that we went to school with that was an electrician, and he got us wired up at uh, uh, the same place we did our dishes. We bathed our kids and ourselves, uh, but it was a, um, quite an undertaking that, that, that first year. And then as the spring of 1995 uh, came about, that shine of that new farm sure wore off. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were working from early morning going to work. We usually stay up till 1, 2 o'clock in the morning trying to build a house just for a place to live. It wasn't like we were trying to remodel or anything. We were just trying to make the bare necessities available to our kids. Our church gave us a little refrigerator to keep milk cold, small, tiny, portable things, fixed a few pipes with some... PVC and we had water. They bought us a hot water heater. It, it really began to wear on us by the spring of 1995, living in those conditions. And I'm seeing all the friends that I went to school with graduate and go off to their ministries. And, you know, here I am stuck in this, by this time I'm calling it a hellhole, you know, mm. neglecting our kids. And they, they, they were coming home as latchkey kids. And and that was a tremendous conviction that God was putting upon us that, yeah. you know, if we're heading in the direction of working with youth and families and we're neglecting our own kids and they're becoming latchkey kids because we're working so hard. And I remember skipping a lot of Sundays of church trying to get this place put together. But these are all teachable moments that God was not only teaching us, but teaching our kids as well. And we are learning a lot along the way too. Trace, we can see from your story that walking out your faith in the Lord, obedient to his call on your life, is not always simple and straightforward. 
There are trials and tests of your faith. There are readjustments along the way. But all the while, God is working and preparing you for things that you could never have dreamed of. Next week, we're going to continue with Trace's story and hear some major ups and downs along the way. You won't want to miss it. In fact, you can download the entire testimony series from Trace when you visit us online at LicensedToParent.org. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosal. If you are blessed by today's program, please tell a friend and then plan to be with us again next time to renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. See you next time.